Now, last week, uh, we brought you a message of hope from 1 Peter. Uh, I think a much needed message in a time of fear and uncertainty. Uh, we talked about how much like the exiles that Peter was writing to, they, we are also not forgotten. In the midst of all of this chaos and confusion, God is not confused. We are not alone and we are not forgotten. He is in control and because of that, we can have hope. Because of the great joy set before us, we can have hope. And not just like a, a gee, I really want this to happen kind of hope, but a hope in the living God that says, I am, I am standing here in confidence because I know this will come to pass. There will be an end to these troubles. And, and God works all things for, for his glory and, and for our good. And, and so last week, that was, that was kind of last week in a nutshell. We had approximately like 100 to like 120 people show up, which we thought was pretty good since we didn't get the word out until Friday afternoon last week. Uh, there was another uh, 38,000 that tuned in via uh, Fox Carolina's, their live stream, and then, then another 60,000 more that watched afterward. We didn't know at all uh, what God was going to do with all that. We didn't know they were coming and, 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 and we didn't know how God was going to use this gathering as he opened the door for us to meet here. But, but he, but he definitely used it in big ways. And, and I assure you that his plans were way bigger than anything that we could have thought or imagined. In fact, we had at least one person here at the drive-in that let us know that they surrendered their life to Christ. And then we later found out about at least one more who gave their life to Christ while watching online. Come on, somebody, let's celebrate that. Amen. Now, now I don't know about you, but that's the kind of news that I want to be hearing right now. And, and, and I'm just going to say this. I'm growing a little tired of my news feed, my conversations, really my life being dominated by this virus. Yes, this is a problem. And yes, we are all facing it. But you know what? Our God is a God of miracles. And even when I don't see it, he's working. He's still drawing people to himself. He's still in the soul saving business. And so I want to focus on that. Last week, we had a specific message for our specific context. But, and, and really, our context hasn't changed a lot in the last week. Uh, we're still in the same situation that we were last Sunday. But I do want to go ahead and shift our attention to the cross. We could keep on talking about the coronavirus, or we can talk about Jesus. And you know what my vote is, church. My vote is to talk about Jesus, and I've got the microphone, so that's what we're going to do. All right, so we're all on the same page. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the hawks. Uh, though we're so, so on the, Just so we're all on the same page, uh, I'm not sure if you were aware, but because of everything that's going on in the world right now, but Easter is coming. It's on the way. It's just uh, a little ways away. Easter is coming two Sundays from now. And as a pastor, this is a little bit of some kind of weird territory because we're usually doing a lot of prep work right now to get ready for the big day. We're usually shooting videos and planning events and putting together some creative musical pieces. And Easter weekend is, is generally often one of the biggest weekends for most churches. But instead of doing all of those things, we're just trying to figure out how to meet, how to get together, how to stay connected, and how to effectively love our church and love our community together. We're just trying to figure those things out. 
And so I want us to turn our attention to the cross and to look ahead to Easter over the next few weeks. We're going to just inject a little bit of normalcy into our church, and we're going to go through a very short series called Words from the Cross to prepare our hearts and minds for Easter weekend. What we're going to do is we're going we're to talk about it this week and next week, and then we're going to wrap it up on Easter weekend. And so if you're taking notes, then the title of the message this morning is Forgiveness and Assurance. Forgiveness and assurance. And if you need the scripture, it's there at legacycity.church slash drive-in. You can go there. I think Blake mentioned it earlier, had all of our song lyrics. It also has the scripture there for you to read along with. Um, or you could just use you know, your Bible or your Bible app if you have that with you as well. So there are seven phrases that are attributed to Christ in scripture while he was on the cross. And I think these seven phrases should be some of the most appreciated and memorized and, and loved and valued phrases in, in, in the whole of scripture because they are the last words uttered by Christ while he was actively dying for our sins. All right, He wasn't walking around and teaching at this point. He was nailed to the cross and he was in the process of physically dying for you and for me. And so those words are so important. If, if you have ever lost a loved one, if you ever lost a loved one in your life, you know that the last things that you said to them or they said to you, those things stick with you, right? Like if you had a fight or, or, or said something mean, then you might carry around like some guilt or some anger about how you left things. Or, or if, you left, if they left you with like some wisdom or some loving encouragement, they, they kind of like laid this thing on you that's like, wow, this is so incredible. You, you, might, you might cherish those last moments and those last words. Either way, we know that the last words are important. And so we're going to look at Jesus's last words together over these next weeks. In fact, I want to just read all of them to you right now so that you know what we're talking about and where we're going. The first is this, uh, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The second, and we're going to be looking at, at these two today, the first one and the second one. The second is truly I say to you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. The third thing he said, uh, this was to Mary, uh, woman, behold your son. And then to John, behold your mother. Uh, now, all three of those, those were, those were before noon. Those were early. Those were early on the cross uh, phrases that he said. These next, one comes, comes hour, these next ones come hours uh, later. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and then that was followed by another fulfillment of prophecy when Jesus simply said, I thirst. And finally, we come to the, the last two. He says, it is finished. And then finally, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Now, all of these phrases are incredibly significant to our lives, and I believe warrant a, a closer look. And, and I think as we unpack these, you're going to see just how important these seven phrases are to you and to your life and to your spiritual journey. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for all that you are going to do. Uh, I thank you for the work that you're going to do in every single one of us, everyone attending physically and everyone tuning in at home. Lord, as we're leading up to this time, this, this Passover, where, where, where you were the lamb, where you died for the sins of the world, Lord, that you would help us today to have a good understanding of, of what you really did for us as we break down your words, Jesus, that you spoke on the cross. Lord, 
I pray that you give us insight. I pray that you speak deep within our spirit and set us free with these words, your words, Lord, that gives life. It's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let me start by putting this in context for you. Now, I just you may be a little unfamiliar with this scene. You might know of the crucifixion. You might know about the crucifixion. You may understand that the crucifixion happened. But I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. Uh, I want to make sure we all know what it looked like and what we're talking about. And, and so maybe, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about when I say the crucifixion and that Jesus died on the cross. Maybe you don't know that, or maybe you just haven't thought about it for a while. Maybe the crucifixion hasn't been something that's been on your mind. Uh, it's not something that you think about. Maybe it just comes around every year at Easter and you think about it for a moment and then it's done. So I want us to really think about it for a moment. I want to give it some context. All right, so, so Jesus was crucified, and the Bible says this in Luke 23, uh, verses 32 through 33. Uh, there were two others who were criminals, Jesus was being led with two others who were, he was considered, Jesus was considered to be a criminal. He was being led away with two other criminals and, and they were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, this is Luke 23, verse 33, they, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Now, Okay, so I said I want to give you uh, some context. I'm going to stop and give you a quick review on what happened leading up to this point. What that, that would see Jesus, we all know who Jesus is, we all understand who Jesus is, that would see Jesus being led to the cross as a criminal flanked by other criminals. Now, now many of you might know this verse, but the Bible clearly speaks about the reasoning behind all of this in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Sometimes we take that verse for granted, don't we, church? We take that, we take that verse for granted, but did, did you hear that? For God so loved you. For God so loved you specifically you individually you you in your car right now you on the bed of your truck right now you listening online right now God loves you no matter what you've done no, no matter what you've gone through he loves you and he died for you he died for our sins and, and here's what it says. It says that, that, uh, that all we have to do is believe and trust in him for forgiveness and salvation for all of eternity. Wow. That is some really, really good news this morning. So, so let, me, let me break it down. God gave us his son, Jesus, who was born of a Virgin Mary without a sin nature. So, so what did he do with that? What did Jesus do with that? Jesus went on to live a perfect, sinless life, and he actually played out the will of the Father for his life. And as you study the words of Jesus, as you, as you study the life of Jesus, it's amazing because he never did anything wrong. Unlike me, who gets it wrong all the time. Like all of the time, like every day. I probably got it wrong this morning. Some of you out there did too. 
Why? Because none of us are perfect. But Jesus was. He loved everyone. And he loved everyone with unconditional love. He even loved those that society rejected. He actually came with a revolutionary, like against the grain message. And, and, he, and, he, and he talked to the religious leaders of the day and he told them, you don't get it. You, you haven't got it yet. You talk to people about the speck in their eye, but you have this massive plank in your own. And he says, you're talking religion, but, but you don't even know the God that you're talking about. You don't even know God personally. I think a lot of us can be like that too. But Jesus changed lives. That's what he does. He changes lives. He could touch the blind and they could see. He could touch the deaf and they could hear. He had the ability to give resurrecting life to those who were dead. He could bring them back to life and he can do the same for you here today. You might be alive sitting here today. You might think I'm alive. I'm in my car. I'm honking my horn. I'm alive. But there are some people I think with, with enough, with all of these people, that we, there are some people that might be here today that are dead in spirit. Listen to me. Jesus can bring you back to life. He can offer you resurrection life today. But here's the thing. Even though he did everything right, even though he did the will of the father, he was betrayed by one of his own. Has anybody ever been betrayed? Yeah. Oh, he's really, he's... We, we all have, all of us. We've, we've all been there. We've all been betrayed. Somebody has let us down. Somebody has hurt us. Somebody has wounded us deeply. We've all felt but the sting of betrayal in some way or another. And so they take Jesus and they give him a rigged trial, even though he did nothing wrong. Even though Pontius Pilate said, I can't find any fault in this man. They still falsely accuse him and they condemn him, even though he's an innocent man. Creation mocked the creator that day. Creation mocked the creator. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but it says this in John 1, 10 through 11. It says, he was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Wow. He was there in the beginning. All things were created through him, but they didn't recognize him much like many in our world today don't recognize him. We hear this name, Jesus, but some of us don't really know him. If he, if he walked up to us on the street, first of all, we'd say, back up six feet, bro. If he walked up to us on the street, we wouldn't even recognize him because we don't have a relationship with him. So, so Jesus, God on earth was betrayed, falsely accused, beaten, humiliated, mocked, denied, and killed. He suffered a brutal death that he didn't deserve. Can we think about that for a second? How many of us get up in arms when somebody just says something negative to us? Right? How many of us get, 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 get all bent out of shape whenever we get a reprimand at work and we feel like we don't deserve it? Or, or how about whenever we get a speeding ticket and we feel like we didn't deserve that because we had somewhere very, very important to be and we were only going four miles over the speed limit and he's just trying to get us, right? 
How many of us get all upset and, and mad and been out of shape and, 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 and just angry when our spouse gets mad at us for, for something that, well, you know, we probably deserve that. But, but we do, this is, this is us. This is who we are. Jesus is in the midst of this terrible ordeal. The son of David, the lamb of God, the light of this world, Emmanuel, God with us, is being killed for wrongs he didn't commit. And all of a sudden, his lips begin to move. All of a sudden, his, his lips begin to move and he starts to talk. He hasn't said much. He, at least it's not recorded that he says anything up to this point. In fact, if you go all the way back to Isaiah, it says that he, he stood silent. He was mocked and accused and beaten and scorned, but he stood silent. So, so all of a sudden, he starts to, he starts to talk. And, and now I don't know about you, but, but I would have been leaning in in this moment. What, what, what is he saying? What's, what's coming out of his mouth? Is, is, it, is it simply anguish because he's in pain? Because the, I would be in anguish if, if that were me, if I were in that situation. Is he, is he, is he cursing those who are crucifying him? Because again, if it was me, is it, is it self-pity? That was terrifying. Is it, is it self-pity? Like you could have been up there just like, why me? After, after all the good I've done, after all the miracles I've performed, after all the, the people I've helped, why me? Or, or it could have been words of vengeance. All right, that's where many of us would go. I mean, he knew the resurrection was coming. He's God. He could have been like, woof. As soon as I get resurrected from the dead, I'm going to get even with all of you. He could have just been looking at them and, and just with vengeful eyes. Maybe that's what he was about to say. But I wonder, what, what, is, he, what is he saying in the midst of this excruciating experience? Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Beaten, mocked, scorned. And Jesus does two things right here. He prays for them. And, and, and don't miss this church, he forgives them. He prays for them and then he forgives them. Now, I don't know about you, but that would not be my default. I wish I could say it would be, but it was for Jesus. And, and, and just for reference, when was this prayer prayed? I want us to understand this. It was prayed at the very time that his nerves were not yet dulled. This was the time when the pain was the freshest, when the, the jolt of anguish that went through his body was the sharpest. It was at that time that he prayed for his enemies. Prayer is just is so vital to Jesus. In fact, he started his earthly ministry with prayer and now he's ending it with prayer. The first of Jesus's final words on the cross teach us the importance of prayer, of calling out to the Father. And who did he pray for when he was at his most wounded? He prayed for his enemy. He prayed, he prayed for his enemy. When was the last time you prayed for your enemy? When was the last time you prayed for the person that, that wronged you and that hurt you. When was the last time you prayed for that person that deeply wounded you? That one stings a little, right? You know, we can 
visualize the cross. We can, we can see the crowd gathered. Attention was being attracted at this time. And, and as a result of that, there were some that were glad to see him dying. It was their greatest day. Others were there because they were just a part of the curious crowd. They, they wondered who was being crucified, what's, what's, going, what's going on. They just wanted to stick their neck in there and see what's, what's going down. And others were just walking by. And the text says the rulers were sneering at him. And they said in verse 35, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. Anybody a fan of sarcasm? Yeah. Last night, you don't have to honk for that. That's okay. Last night I was uh, talking to the girls and I said something uh, along the lines of, yeah, yeah, I can do that because I have all the time in the world right now. To which my oldest daughter said, Daddy, that's sarcasm. And it was. And it was. And so is this. These were enemies of Jesus. They were making jokes at his expense while he hangs. Nails through his body, thorns in his head, ripped open back, pressed against rough cut lumber. And he says in the midst of this, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Let me give you a side note. What they didn't understand was that if he were to save himself, they and we would not be saved. And being willing to not save himself when he was on the cross, not calling down the legions of angels, a redemption was purchased at the highest cost. What a savior, amen? So it's very interesting. So it's very interesting. Nowhere else in the gospels does Jesus ever ask the father to forgive somebody. He was usually offering them forgiveness himself. He would tell them, your, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. He would say to people himself that you're forgiven. But, but this is an interesting point. This is an interesting thing that happens. On the cross, while he's dying there, he exercises no prerogatives as God. He so fully identifies with us that he is willing to assume the role of a servant. And servants have no rights. Servants have no abilities. Servants simply do as is being done to them. And he's hanging there. And he appeals to the Father and he says, Father, forgive them. Essentially fulfilling a 700 plus year old prophecy spoken by Isaiah. I think it's in this moment that Jesus really teaches us how to truly forgive. He sets a bar like no other. And, and I want to unpack this passage a little bit more, but we have a whole nother quote to get to. And so let me just give you three quick things about forgiveness here. First of all, no sin. I want you to, I want you to listen to me, church. No sin is too great to forgive. If they could be forgiven for crucifying the Holy One, if there can be forgiveness for nailing the Son of God to the cross... And, and jeering him and mocking him and saying, his blood be upon us because we hate him. If that can be forgiven, why do you think that your sin cannot be forgiven? What sin have you committed that's greater than that? It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what you're doing right now. I came to tell somebody today, it's forgivable. 
What, what man cannot forgive, God can forgive. We only have to submit and ask. Secondly, Jesus died so that his own prayer could be answered. The, the reason he was hanging on the cross was so that his prayer could be answered. Listen, if Jesus had not died, there's no way that, that forgiveness could truly exist. There's no way that he could have said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He couldn't have said it. Why? Because there, there, there would be no basis of forgiveness. God can't just wipe people's slate clean. He is a holy God and he is a just God. And so if you wonder whether or not your sin is serious, I want you just to look at the cross. I want you to stare there at Jesus on the cross and you look at his suffering, both physical and spiritual. And, and we'll see as we get a little further into this series, we'll discover the spiritual agony of Jesus that, that was, in my opinion, much greater than the physical agony of Jesus. And that's because of our sin, our sin, not just the sins of those who actually nailed him to the cross. No, he was dying to cover our sins and he was asking God to forgive us as well. The third thing real quick is Jesus is a model for how we should treat our enemies. I find it amazing that Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so that's our model. We, we say to ourselves, well, you know, it's one thing to say that. And, and those of us who are preachers are sometimes concerned about that. It's one thing to preach a message. It's one thing to tell people what to do. But what do you do when you're in the middle of the situation? Jesus says, here's the model for you. Throughout all generations, I am being unjustly crucified. All of my rights are being taken away. My civil rights, my personal rights, my judicial rights, everything is being taken. But Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And that's the way some of us need to talk about people who have deeply wounded us. Forgiveness is the first thing Jesus talks about from the cross. And we could keep going on forgiveness, but I do want to transition because I want to get to the second phrase. Let's read in Luke 23, starting in verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. There is so much that I would love to unpack with this. But in the interest of time, I'm going to focus on what I feel is crucial. And so what I like for us to do is to look at the facts of this man's conversion. First of all, he's on the cross. All right. Effectively on his deathbed, the sentence is being carried out and there is no hope of a stay of execution at this point. His fate is sealed. You'll notice it says in, in, in verse 23, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 23, verse 39, uh, one of the criminals who hung there, he shouted insults. He said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you hear God? He said, since, since you're under the same sentence, we are punished Justly, we are getting what we deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Who was this penitent thief, as he's sometimes called? 
Well, let's start by pointing out uh, that he began to mock Christ along with everyone else. You can find that in the book of Matthew, verse 27, I'm sorry, chapter 27, verse 44, where it says that those who were crucified with him, the two criminals, began to mock him. They joined in with the crowd, both of them, but there was something that changed him there on the cross. Now, mind you, he was in a hopeless predicament. Look at him there on the cross. He could not walk in the path of righteousness because each foot had a nail. He wasn't going anywhere. It was impossible for him to serve others because his hands were, were had nails through them. And in a few moments, in a few hours at, at least, he was going to die. There was no way he could turn over a new leaf and somehow balance the score and, and to somehow save himself by his good deeds. It was too late for thinking thoughts like that. He was in a desperate situation and his fate was determined. But what I find in the text most interesting is his incredible faith. He began by mocking Jesus and then suddenly he begins to change and he begins to criticize and rebuke his friend across the way, his partner in crime. He turns to Jesus. Why the change? Why the change? Well, I think there might be several reasons. He likely heard Jesus say what I emphasized a few moments ago, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Maybe he said to himself, I need forgiveness too. I mean, he was dying and he needed forgiveness and the words that Jesus spoke could have touched his heart. And, and then of course, the people walked by, you remember, and they said, he saved others, let him save himself. And, and they were actually giving testimony without even realizing it to the good deeds that Jesus had done. He did save others. He did some amazing things. And so they were testifying to Christ in the midst of their sarcasm and mocking. Or maybe it was a sign that, that was put above him that was meant to mock Jesus. In your text there in verse 38, it says, there was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. A little sidebar in, in, in John 19, you find that the Jews actually objected to this. They said, don't write Jesus king of the Jews, but that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And, and then Pilate, who, who wrote it down in, in a rare burst of courage, said, I have written what I have written. And there it stood. It hung around the neck of Jesus as he was paraded through the streets of Jerusalem. It was, and, and, and he was brought there to be crucified. And it's very probable that the thief on the cross, both thieves on the cross, knew about the sign. They knew about his crime. They may have even been able to catch a glimpse of the sign as they hung there. How else could this man know that Jesus has a kingdom unless he saw the sign, the king of the Jews? And so in that context, faith is birthed in his heart. And there is something within, the, within him that says, this man is different. I'm going to believe him. I'm going to believe in him. Think of how incredible his faith was. I think it's particularly wild because he believed in Jesus when Jesus was no better off than he was. They were in the same situation. They were in the same boat. Jesus is on the cross as well. He doesn't look much like a savior in this moment. He certainly doesn't look like a king. And he hangs there on the cross and he seems to be crucified in great weakness. And he's in a position to help nobody. And yet, this man believes. Church, there is so much more we could discuss here. But here's the word I want to leave you with today. Assurance. Assurance. That's what Jesus gives the man who turned to faith on the cross. Verse 43. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, 
in a little while. Like we don't have much time left, but when that time is up, because of your faith in me, you will be with me in paradise. I was thinking about this. You know, when somebody says that they're going to do something for you eventually, you, you probably don't hold your breath, right? You know, like if they say, hey, one day I got to come over and we got to build that fire pit that we've been talking about. Yeah, okay, we'll see, right? If they narrow it down a little bit, then you start to give them the benefit of the doubt. Hey, one weekend this month, we're going to get it done. But if they add specifics, we start to become expectant, right? Like I will be there at 3 p.m. with bricks and Gatorade and it's happening today. Then we're all oh, dang, I better get ready. This is about to go down. Like, let me put on my work clothes because we're about to, we're about to, we're about to get this going. There is some assurance that comes with that. Jesus is giving this man assurance today, soon, after we breathe our last breath, there will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow. You'll be with me in paradise because you have truly believed and turned to me in these moments. We don't know everything that this thief did to get put on that cross. We don't know everything he stole or who he stole it from or how many times he did it. All we know is that he broke the law and he sinned enough to be deemed no longer worthy of living. But on that cross, he found worth in someone else. He saw Jesus for who he was, the son of God. He believed and he had faith. And at that moment, it didn't matter what he did to get there, just that he was there. It didn't matter what his sin portfolio looked like, just that he believed in Jesus. It didn't matter that he had even mocked Jesus earlier in the day, only that he trusted in him right now. And based on that and that alone, his fate was undone. Where there once was a man on a cross dying with no hope of things to come, bound for an eternity apart from God, he now has the blessed assurance of paradise. So here's the pitch, church. For anyone here or watching online, where is your assurance? Do you have any? Do you know that you know, that you know. I remember a preacher asking me that one time and I thought it was kind of a lame thing to say and I thought, you're coming on a little strong, my guy, right? But listen to me, church, the longer I do this, the more people I see walking outside of the will of God, dying without knowing him, the more urgent I feel the gospel message is becoming. And I'm asking a simple question this morning. Do you have the blessed assurance, the hope that is Jesus Christ? Is the Holy Spirit speaking into your soul right now and saying, I got you. You're mine. You were bought with a price and you're covered by the blood of Jesus. If that's not you, if you can't say that, and if the Spirit is leading you and calling you to the Father today, then you can step into blessed assurance. We saw with the thief that he didn't have to do anything to earn salvation, only believe and confess. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. An opportunity for the hope of things to come, an opportunity to step into a life giving relationship with the creator of the universe, an opportunity to experience the blessed assurance that comes from walking with the Lord. So in your cars, at home, on your couches, I'd encourage you to bow and pray with me.
At Legacy City, nobody prays alone. So we're all going to pray this together. Heavenly Father, I surrender to you. I give you my whole life. Save me. Forgive me. Change me. Fill me with your spirit so I could follow you every day of my life. My life is not mine any longer. I give it all to you. Thank you for new life today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you're out there and you're thankful to have a relationship with Jesus, let me hear a shout and some car horns this morning. Listen to me, church. If you just prayed that for the very first time, let me assure you that all of heaven is celebrating right now. 10,000 angels are having a party in your honor. But we don't want this to stop here. If you're, if you're on the website that we gave you a little while ago, legacycity.church slash drive in, go to the bottom of the page and, and please fill out the response form and let us know what God did in your life today so we can celebrate with you as well. God, God did a work in you and we want to celebrate with you, whether you're here in person or watching online. We